1: Welcome to Law Students in Court Podcast. My name is Ananda Leek, and I am the Digital Communications Director at Law Students in Court. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with one of our amazing alums. Her name is Zara Levin-Fogasso. Zara, how are you today?
0: I'm doing very well, Ananda. It's a pleasure to be on with you.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Today, everybody, I want to tell you you're in for a special treat. This is going to be great. Zara is a 2011 graduate of Catholic University's Law School. She's going to correct me on the full title. Can you tell us the full title of the school? The
0: Catholic (laughs) University of America Columbus School of Law. All right.
1: He participated in our criminal division um, while she was a third-year Catholic, and we're just going to get this, the conversation started. So tell us, Zara, uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and about the work you do now.
0: So I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I've spent most of my life in Manhattan, except for the three years I was in law school in D.C. I currently live in New York City, where I'm an associate of the Lanier Law Firm. I practice plaintiff side products liability litigation with a specific focus on pharmaceutical drugs and devices. I also serve as the chair of the special committee on drugs and the law at the New York City Bar Association.
1: You've been a pretty, pretty, a pretty busy lady since graduation.
0: Yes, it has not. It's definitely been packed, it's <laughs> to put it mildly. But it's all good. It's very enjoyable.
1: Awesome, awesome. Why did you join Law Students in Court when you were a third year at Catholic?
0: So one of my professors actually mentioned the clinic to me, and she saw me more as a public defender type before I had even realized that that was where my interests were. Um, At the time, I thought I was interested in prosecuting and concluded that working as a defense attorney would be an invaluable opportunity for my future career as a prosecutor. I also knew that gleaning real courtroom experience would be quite valuable irrespective of where I ended up after law school. I definitely knew I wanted to litigate, so it it seems like a great opportunity.
1: While you were in the clinic. What type of cases did you work on?
0: So I was in the criminal um, division. I had two misdemeanor or drug possession cases, which we took to trial, one um, which my supervisor and I were able to get dismissed for want of prosecution on the morning of trial, and the other which went to sentencing. However, we were able to get an excellent option for the client as a first-time drug offender, and I believe her record was eventually expunged. I also and most memorably ended up with a jury trial on a case arising from an unlawful entry charge.
1: Wow, we like to hear the word expungement. Everybody, I'm going to take a moment just to share that Law Students in Court launched the Expungement Clinic in August, and you can go to our website and look at the expungement information if you want to know more about it. So back to the interview.
0: That's great. uh, I didn't know about the new... uh, That's fabulous. I would definitely look into that.
1: Uh, It's a wonderful program, and we're really proud of it. And we're going into our year two in a couple of months, and so look for more information.
0: Congratulations. That's great. Thank
1: you. Thank you. So, Zara, I know that you learned a lot of lessons while you were working in the criminal division clinic. Can you tell us three of the major lessons that you learned?
0: I can. It's hard to narrow it down to three. I will put that out there. It was a really, I mean, transformative experience. But I think the ones that stand out the most to me from my year at Law Students in Court is, first, we were in a workshop, and I remember someone saying that If somebody has cancer, we don't refer to them as a cancer, but we do refer to those suffering from mental illness as, for example, a schizophrenic. Like somehow, if a person has a mental illness, that mental illness becomes that person's entire identity. I remember hearing this bit of wisdom in one of the early workshops at the clinic, and it really struck me. I made sure to internalize this awareness and shift my own language as a result of that. That small bit of wisdom has stayed with me and helped me with difficult interactions, both when I was teaching as a special education teaching fellow in New York City um, in the South Bronx and when I have encountered clients who struggle with mental health issues in my own practice. Uh, I guess the second lesson is that um, I credit the clinic specifically the guidance of my supervisor, Tim Curry. I was with Tim for the full year with having played a huge role in making me the litigator I am today. I started the clinic completely overwhelmed by the prospect of cross-examination thinking of it as a foreign language during workshops, and left the clinic having crossed a government-employed chemist and multiple D.C. police officers, as well as having opened and closed before a, a trial before a jury. I was far more confident in my own abilities as an attorney after law students in court. I believe I grew leaps and bounds due to the program and was able to apply what I learned from Tim and Moses as I moved forward in my own practice after law school. LSIC definitely made me feel prepared to join a litigation practice after law school. Uh, The third lesson, I think, would be that your client always comes first. I was always very client-centric in my internships prior to law students in court, but LSIC drove this lesson home by randomly providing me with an extremely challenging client. I grew a lot from this experience and was able to learn effective communication skills with difficult clients, something that continues to benefit me to this day.
1: Well, we're really grateful that you got so much out of the program and Moses and Tim are just amazing. Uh, yes, they are. People. And and the rest of our team, are, they, they really put their heart into everything. So I know you were with the best and you got the best.
0: Yes, it's really an exceptional exceptional experience. I would recommend it to anybody who's in D.C. for their third year.
1: All right. We love to hear that. <laughs> we'll have to take that and turn that into a quote and share it on social media.
0: I would be very happy <laughs> to have that done. It... Awesome.
1: So, I know that you've already shared a little bit about how law citizens in court has, has helped you as an attorney now, but I want you to dig a little deeper and tell us about how the experience impacted your current career and your work as the chair of the special committee on drugs and law at the New York Bar Association, or the New York City Bar Association, let me get that right.
0: <laughs> you got it. Um, LSIC had a tremendous impact on my um, current career, particularly in regards to my work as the chair on the Special Committee of Drugs and the Law at the bar. I went through, as I I said this before, it's just a completely transformative experience in how I viewed the court system due to my involvement with law students in court. I thought I was going to be a prosecutor, like I said before. After a few weeks in law students in court, I realized this was not something I would be able to do. I witnessed firsthand, waiting in line to pick up my client's drug test results, that I was one of maybe three white people in line. Statistics show that whites use drugs at the same rate or higher than blacks or Latinos, but are far less likely to be penalized for that use. This struck me as an incredibly unfair principle, and I wanted to do something about it. I knew then that I could never prosecute because it would mean putting someone in jail for substance use and or abuse, which I have always known to be a public health issue and not a criminal one. My interest in the topic of drugs and the use of the drug conviction as a tool of mass incarceration, or what Michelle, Michelle Alexander aptly named the new Jim Crow, was born of D.C. law students in court. When I returned to New York after law school, I applied for a position on the committee, and then-chair Heather Haas offered me a seat on the committee. The committee moved forward with the anniversary report we recently produced, which is charting a wiser course, Human Rights in the World Drug Problem, which really crystallizes the intersection between human rights and drug policy, both on the national and international level. So I'm incredibly grateful to law students in court for showing me what I was truly passionate about. I was honored to be selected as the chair of the committee for the 2015 to 2018 term, where I continue to explore this area that is of such great importance to human rights and health. I've been very blessed in my professional life in that I work for a great law firm where I help people who have been harmed and then I'm able to focus my scholarship on human rights and health. There is a nice complement between the two areas, I think. I've also found that my experience at LSIC allowed me to hit the ground running as a plaintiff's lawyer So though I'm still young and I have much to learn and continue to do so from my supervisors at my firm, I found that my trial experience from the clinic put me in an advantage when I began my current job. Um, I've been given really many very interesting and exciting opportunities here, and I was happy that I had experience questioning witnesses already, using documents for impeachment impeachment and to refresh recollection, and arguably most importantly, conducting cross-examination prior to having started with the firm. It made me feel far more confident going into depositions, knowing that I had already had real trial experience under my belt. Um, I was able to pull on this confidence and experience in my depositions and in preparation with my current supervisors. So I think my I C experience was particularly challenging in that I had that really challenging first client, and that really benefited all of my client interactions going forward. I love that the work um, I do for my firm is very client-centric, um, and that I work for a firm that is very client-centric. This is something that's important to me personally. So I was happy that um, the training I received at I C solidified that for me, and I was able to then go to a firm that's also, you know, your client always comes first, this idea of legal care as one of the most important parts of any practice.
1: Well, I'm so glad to hear about the legal care component and that you you got that while you were at law students in court where you were able to really make that a core part of who you are as an attorney.
0: Thank you, yeah, I found that um my first client, um everybody probably who's still there will still remember he was a memorable fellow uh, <laughs> I got him um I was assigned him randomly. we got the case uh dismissed, and then he the he it, you know went forward again, I ended up with him twice um so I learned a lot just from that interaction of how to deal with challenging clients, and he set the bar pretty high, so even when I've encountered difficult people in my you know current practice it, it um or in any of my internships that I did in between starting at my firm, he set the bar so high that nobody seems that challenging. And I think that was a really incredible first experience. Wow. It fostered yeah, a lot of <laughs> compassion and really good communication skills.
1: Awesome. That is that is truly priceless and something that you will uh, carry with you throughout your career and life. So I, I know that, Yeah. Before we we started um, the show, everybody, Zara and I talked offline, and she told me that she has an event coming up, and I want to give her time to share that before we go on to to more questions.
0: Oh, thank you. So the committee will be hosting a report release party on June 2, 2016 at 6 p.m. It's 6 to 8.30 p.m., at the New York City Bar Association in Manhattan. It's located between, it's on 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue, and it is the launch and discussion of our new report, Charting a Wiser Course, Human Rights and the World Drug Problem. We have a lot of really interesting speakers on the panel. One of our committee members, Hannah Lieben-Dershowitz, who's a fabulous member of our committee, will be moderating the event and I think they're going to have a cookie reception to begin around 6. So the event is free, which is great, and you can go on the New York City Bar Association's webpage under the event calendar and register there. Do make sure that you register, though, if you're either able to come to the New York area or can attend in the New York area.
1: So we would love to have
0: you there, and there will be a short question and answer session also at the end of the event.
1: Awesome. Can you give the website for the New York City Bar Association?
0: You know, that's actually, let me see. Um, it is www.nycbar.org.
1: All right. So, you have recently had something published in the New York Times, and I was really excited about it. I'm going to let you tell everybody what that what that was.
0: Thank you. I was pretty excited, too. I won't lie. Um, So I mentioned earlier that the report, the committee recently um, about that report. In 1994, the committee published its landmark report, A Wiser Course Ending Drug Prohibition, which explored the impact of the drug war, specifically detailing the oppression of minority communities through selective prosecution, as well as examining the impact drug criminalization had had on public health. This year, in honor of the 20th um, year anniversary of that 1994 report and to mark the 2016 UN Special Session on the World Drug Problem, which is, we're going to call it the UNGAS, um, that's that's what it's known as, the committee released its new report. The 2016 UNGAS was a critical motivator for international drug policy review. I attended the special session with several members of the committee, including Heather Haas, the former committee chair, and my co-author for the Times letter. Heather was instrumental in the civil society presence at the 2016 UNGASS. She's an expert on the international treaties within the context of human rights and drug policy, as well as on the UN processes around drugs. She also led the civil society participation at the 2016 UNGASS as the chair of the New York NGO Committee and as vice chair of the civil society task force for UNGASS, which was formed on her initiative along with her colleagues at the Harm Reduction. Coalition. There are now over 100 members from every region in the world on the New York NGO Committee, and the task force has facilitated the contribution of hundreds of NGOs across the globe in the UNGASS process. So we were interested in getting our report out there in time for this major moment in the history of international drug policy. We unveiled our report, Charting a Wiser Course, Human Rights and the World Drug Problem at the UNGAS on April 19, 2016. The report is available online at the Bar Association webpage, as well as on the UNGAS webpage and through a link in the Times article, if you Google my name. I want to also, and I, I um, you know, again, give a push to come to the event. It will really be a great a great detail on for anybody who is interested in this topic. So the other thing is you can also find... Um, the Bar Association on Facebook, and we'll have links to everything there. That's New York City Bar Association Committee on Drugs and the Law on Facebook. Um, And the report does a real thorough job of looking at the intersection between human rights and the world drug problem, while offering evidence-based recommendation for reducing the harms associated with drug use and for ending certain human rights violations associated with the drug war. So, for example, the report calls for an end to the use of the death penalty for drug-related offenses. After the report was released, and the two thousand and sixteen Ungas was concluded, an article appearing uh, appeared commenting on the special section in the new york uh, special session in The New York Times. Heather and I wrote our letter to the editor of this article, and the letter got picked up and published on april twenty seventh online and in print on april twenty eighth The article we were responding to was uh, published on the twenty fifth titled "Rethink the Global War on Drugs." It came out right after the special session and looked at the happenings of that session. In our letter to the editor, Heather and I acknowledged the limits of the special session, but also looked at the future of international drug policy reform and discussed one of charting a WISER course's recommendations, which supports the creation of an expert advisory group to review the international drug treaties and goes one step further in advocating for the creation of an independent commission to broaden the scope of the review of the treaties. It was pretty exciting to see the Times take an interest in our perspective on these issues.
1: Awesome. That is... That's incredible. I Thank know you. that that just the fact when when you sent an email and shared that your letter had been published in the Times, I was like over the top. That is not an easy thing to make happen. Thank um, you. Yeah,
0: it was pretty. It was definitely up there with. I was always like saying, I was, the next week I was so like almost everything was at a low. I'm like, why is this week so calm? Like, it's, it's not every week. It's <laughs> The one before you get published by the New York Times. It was it was pretty exciting, and particularly with these issues that just have such an impact on human rights that anything, you know, I'm able to do to use, you know, the privilege of my education and my experience and my, you know, standing in order to effectively try to move for change where you do have people who are being executed for offenses that should, I mean, you know, comment on the death penalty aside, but it's definitely not proportional to execute somebody for a drug offense.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of the great work that you and the members of the New York City Bar Association and the the committee are doing um, on this very, very important issue. Thank you so much. You're welcome. As we close out the show, I want to ask you, what's your definition of justice?
0: That's a tough one. I think there's some misconception of justice as retribution, right, or having to have been attached to a negative outcome originally, right? Like that the mind automatically thinks of justice as something like an innocent man having his name cleared, you know, after having been wrongfully convicted and serving time. I think justice is a far greater undertaking than that. True justice would be having a legal system where the chance of a false guilty conviction would be decreased and where people wouldn't face prejudice that stacked the odds of receiving justice or of getting ahead in life against them based on their gender, disability, the color of their skin, how much money they make, sexual orientation, etc. I think justice is a world in which immutable characteristics do not define the outcome of a person's life. Justice for me is really morality and how a society treats its most vulnerable citizens speaks volumes to the ethical and moral fortitude of that society. Philosopher John Rawls once posited a thought experiment, which I love, that's called the veil of ignorance, where an individual would step behind this veil and not know their position in society, their abilities, gender, skin color, et cetera. And from this premise, that person would decide the rights and privileges provided by that society to everyone. So there's this idea that if you didn't know who you were, um, what was the bare minimum you would want anyone else to have? I think that's a good starting point to truly have justice in the abstract. So for me, justice goes beyond the law, right? So the law is a great way for people to fight for justice for all citizens, whether it's the public defender fighting for their client in the criminal arena or a plaintiff's attorney fighting for those injured by the conduct of, you know, giants of the pharmaceutical industry. But for me, you know, true justice is really a set of morals and ethics that provide equal opportunity and rights to all persons.
1: Wow, thank you. You've given us some food for thought to really think about as far as justice. Is concerned. That's one of my favorite questions to ask our alum, because everyone has. You're welcome. Everyone has a a unique perspective on it, and depending on the work that they've been called to do and where they are in their career and their life, it uh, it's it's a it's a word that has a lot of elasticity and can uh, be stretched in so many different directions. So thank you for adding your thoughts to the justice. Melting pot discussion that we've been having all year.
0: Well, thank you for asking it. I think it's an important question. It was, um, it's an interesting one to ponder too,
1: because right. it is such well, a loaded issue. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule today to share so much about your career, the impact that law students in court had on it, and is continuously having on it as we see. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Zara, for being with us. And I want to extend an invitation to you. If there are other topics that come up in the coming months or next year, let us know. We'd, we'd love to have you back on the show.
0: Thank you so much. I would love to be back on the show, and it was a great privilege to speak today to the audience. And, again, anything I can do for the clinic, I'm always happy to do. It really was a life-changing experience. And all those D.C. law students who are you know, in their second or first year, it's something to really think about because it really does make you go go that leap from student to attorney.
1: All right. Everybody, I want to invite you to do a couple of things. Please make sure you visit our website at dclawstudents.org and sign up for our newsletter so we can stay in touch with you. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash dclawstudents. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LSICjustice and connect with us on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you.